is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, October 28, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday, of course, because today is the start of the World Series. And we have a great show lined up for you. Taylor Swink is producing from the Swink Studios in the Foothills of Connecticut. Sarah Abbott is working from the Miles Teller slash Taylor Swift Tribute Studios somewhere near Bristol. And I'm Buster only in Houston. You guys fired up? Oh, yeah. Been looking forward to this one. I mean, a couple days, no baseball. It's getting pretty dry around here. What about you, Sarah? You ready? Big day. Big day. Huge day. I am so excited. I bought a Phillies hat. This is the day that the Lord has made. Yeah, so, yeah, lifetime Phillies fan getting a Phillies hat for the first time after jumping on the bandwagon and grabbing the steering wheel two weeks ago, yes? <laughs> yes, I am the conductor of the bandwagon. Thank you very much. Very nice. Well, if you're looking for reasons why the Phillies might win, they're the underdogs in this World Series, you've got Paul Mbikides, a research and Phillies fan who's convinced his team will find a way. We'll be talking with Steve Sparks, analyst on the Astros radio. A.J. Hinch, the former Astros manager, will give us his take. We'll hear from Carl Ravitch, host of Baseball Tonight. And, of course, we'll be hearing from Sarah Langs. Thursday was a day for workouts for both these teams in Mid-Maid Park. Uh, they met with the media. Rob Thompson, the Phillies manager, talked about the approach of his team against this tremendous Astros pitching staff. Hitters are hitters. I, I think, you know, we'll know their stuff. We know uh, some of their tendencies, what they like to do, and we'll try to attack it as best we can. But I don't, I don't think... Uh, you know, Kyle Schwarber is going to try and hit, get base hits or bunt for base. You know, he's not going to really change all that much. So I think we just have to, to attack their weaknesses, whatever they are, and stay with our strengths and, and just put good, good at-bats together. So coincidentally, the Phillies and the Astros finished up with each other uh, near the end of the regular season. Here's Aaron Nola talking about that experience of pitching against Houston a month ago. I guess we'll find out, but uh, it's nice to – be able to pitch on this mound for the first time the last time we were here uh, just to kind of get a feel for it and uh, know how it it holds up so I think that's an advantage to that part um, but I mean obviously like you said it's a different stage of when the last time we played here um, it's a good team that we're playing against so um, and we are too so I think I think we'll, we'll see tomorrow and and we'll see this series he was asked about dealing with the bright lights of the World Series. Yeah, it's a big stage and it's a World Series, but it's just another game uh, when we step out on that field. And that's all I try to, to focus on is to make pitches when I need to um, and fo focus every single pitch. Uh, I can't control the results that happen. And the only thing I can control is uh, my body on the mound and my emotions and um, you know where that pitch is going. So... Uh, that's kind of how I keep my focus in line and my emotions in check. Here's Astros manager Dusty Baker, of course, has never won a World Series as a manager. That's why I'm here. You know, and that's why I, that's why I, I, I'm glad that, you know, Jim Crane brought me back here. Uh, and also to a place that, because I, most places I've been, I've had to sort of rebuild the team, but this team was was sort of built already, and I had to, you know, uh, carry on and try to enhance what we already have here. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm just I'm just a ball player that's trying to play ball and, and trying to win. I love to win, 
And uh, I've always said if I win one, I win two. So you got to win one first, and then we'll work on number two at that time. Justin Berlander starts game one for the Astros. He also could be eligible for free agency this fall. And he was asked about the possibility this could be his last start as a member of the Astros at Minute Maid Park. I don't know, man. I'm just kind of along for the ride right now. Uh, it's been a wonderful, you know, year for me, um, my family uh, at home and, and in the sport. I'm, um, I'm just trying to be present and part of it. I'm not really trying to focus too much on what's ahead. He was asked about his preparation for this start, especially in light of how many days off the Astros have had. I, uh, you know, threw a couple bullpens. Um, you know, it's kind of one of that weird time frame where you're not going to, you know, try to rush in an extra, like, simulated game or anything. Um, you know, so just threw a couple bullpens. Uh, this year I've had a couple times through the rotation where I had eight days off. Um, you know, so just kind of hope that all the repetitions throughout my entire life uh, show up. And there are some interesting numbers for Verlander in past World Series that we're going to be kicking around today. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, right now, dear listener, you can uh, check out the College Game Day podcast. We got the Week 9 pick show up with Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and Bill Connolly. Also, all of our NBA shows, they are rocking and rolling right now. The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse, the CJ McCollum show featuring NBA star CJ McCollum, the VC show with Vince Carter, and the Low Post. You can find all of those shows I just mentioned wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Really? That's how we're opening Paul Hambikidi's segment, The Phillies Fan, The Researcher at ESPN, The Honcho on the Show Get Up, in a segment that I have feared all week. Ever since the Phillies clinched a, a spot in the World Series, Hembo, uh, I have lived in fear of this conversation. I'm not <laughs> how you're doing. Yo, Adrian. Look, Buster. Look. You and I have been doing this a long time, and thus there are two things that you know about me, perhaps more than anything else. The first of which is I am your classic researcher, rooted in the objective, right? Enslaved to the, the rigor of my research. That's obviously how you get to be what I am in this industry, right? Like that's what I do. You also know that I am a crazy, bordering on obsessive, perhaps even obnoxious, some might say, all things Philadelphia sports fan. Baseball, of course, being my favorite sport. And so the last few weeks have catapulted me to new heights in terms of my obnoxiousness. So, yes, your fear is well-founded, my friend. For the next 10, 12, 15 minutes, I'm going to ruin your day. And anyone who doesn't feel the same way, (laughs) as I do at least, might feel the same way that you will. But, look, I have to do it. I have to do it. I'm going to make a fact-based argument why the Phillies have a real chance to beat the Astros in the World Series. Just keep in mind that the person providing these facts also named his dog after Chase Utley. (laughs) all right you believe that the phillies have the best hitter and pitchers in this series who i do bryce harper's the best hitter in this series buster right now he is the toughest out in baseball take a look at this with men on base in the postseason bryce harper's eight for 15 with five extra base hits and 17 total bases against fastballs in the postseason he's 10 for 18 with six extra base hits and 22 total bases. If you see an open base with Bryce Harper up, especially with Nick Castellanos on deck, I could easily see 
Houston pitching around him or even putting him on. And I'll be really, really surprised if he sees the same helping of fastballs that he did in the previous series based upon those numbers. Phillies also happen to have the best pitcher in the world right now, and that's Zach Wheeler. Buster, he has faced 91 batters this postseason. He has only allowed 16 of them to reach base. That's 18%. In all four starts he's made, he's recorded at least 18 outs, allowed fewer than five hits, and walked one or fewer batters. In the whole history of baseball's postseason, which dates to 1903, there has been one instance, one streak, of a pitcher doing that four straight times, and it is Zach Wheeler right here, right now. So let me ask you, how do you feel about uh, how Rob Thompson lined up his rotation with games one and two? Because I, I, I think it's the way to go with Wheeler because of the reasons you cited. I always feel like that you can really uh, – people always look at the game one starters being the best guy. I think of the game two starters being the best guy uh, because you're pitching games two and six on full rest. I agreed with Rob Thompson's decision for two reasons. One – you're going to have to use your bullpen way more than you'd like in this series. That's how it goes in a best of seven. And thus, I think having the opportunity to have every single one of your relievers fully ready, fully healthy, fully rested for game one with Aaron Nola pitching, your second best starter makes a lot of sense. And secondly, Zach Wheeler has been absolutely ridiculous this season with extra rest. Ridiculous. So if you combine that one with two, to me, it just makes perfect sense. You get a well-rested bullpen for game one. You get an extra-rested wheeler for game two. I think that that provides the Phillies the best possible chance to win. I mean, Buster, on six-plus days rest this year, a 1-5-7 ERA. On five days rest, a 2-5-7. And on four days rest, a 3-6-4. Those are pretty loud numbers. I think Rob Thompson got this thing right. Speaking of the bullpens, I think the bullpen of the Phillies is the reason why they've gotten this far uh, we knew they could hit. We knew they had some good starting pitching. But I think the surprise in this October has been how effective their bullpen is. How do you see the battle of the bullpen shaping up? I mean, what you just described, Buster, is a stunning development as someone who watched this bullpen melt down game after game this season. The Phillies had the number 23 bullpen during the regular season, a 4-2-5 ERA. It has been more than a run better in the postseason. It has gone from overnight a liability to an asset. And the craziest thing about all of this is that Rob, uh, Rob Thompson, the aforementioned Rob Thompson, has figured out a for formula with this sort of three-headed monster of Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jose Alvarado, and Zach Eflin. Not just um, the guys he's elected to, to, to bring in in high-leverage moments, but when has made a huge difference. Those three guys have faced 16 batters in high-leverage situations this postseason. Hitters are two for 16 with eight strikeouts and no runs. They've allowed no runs in those situations. And while, look, I'll be the first to admit, the Astros had the best bullpen in baseball during the regular season. They've allowed three runs across 33 innings in the postseason. They have been ridiculous. Ridiculous. But consider this, Buster. Those pitchers, those relievers for the Houston Astros, they've thrown 518 postseason pitches. Every single one of those pitches has been thrown by a right-handed pitcher. And that, to me, could absolutely be a tiebreaker here if you're looking for reasons to favor the Phillies in this series. Lefties in the Phillies lineup this postseason – only 969 OPS with a platoon advantage. There are going to be high leverage moments with Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper up at the plate facing a hard-throwing right-handed pitcher. And if I'm a fan of the Houston Astros, that does not sit well with me. Real quick, a follow-up on, on Zach Eflin. It's interesting because uh, you know, it, it, his uh, shift to the bullpen has been trumpeted, uh, but when you look at the overall numbers, he hasn't exactly dominated but I think what he does is, is that he limits damage. In other words, when Zach Eiffelin's out there, you're not thinking that he's going to give up a six spot. Do you know what I mean? 
Like if you give yes. him a three run mm-hmm. lead, he might get back a run. He might get back two runs, but you're going to feel like you have a, run, a lead at the backside. I feel the same way. Uh, I mean, the one time he's really gotten uh, hit around this this postseason was when he was pitching with a massive lead against the Braves. Matt Olson hit that homer to center, and that was that was it. Obviously, that has skewed the numbers a lot. What I like about Zach Eflin is that a he's able to, by and large, keep the ball out of the air, and so you're yep. going to limit the kind of damage that you just talked to, which is obviously massive. But secondly, and you can just see this on his face, he's not the only Phillies pitcher for whom you can say this about, but he has a, like a very very low easy heartbeat like his mechanics are so are so straightforward he delivers his pitches with so much conviction and he's obviously not bothered by the moment or when men get on base and that is a massive data point that we have to reference here like this pitching staff has very much embodied the temperament of the manager now obviously throughout the regular season that didn't show up much but in these high leverage moments in the postseason it absolutely has and for a pitcher uh with that zach eflin's experience as a starter be this trustworthy in the back end and massive moments in the postseason is a pretty rare thing. I think you've got to give it to the kid. He has most certainly exceeded my expectations for him. All right, got four minutes, three topics to get to. Why do you give the Phillies lineup an edge? There's two critical areas that have really keyed their success so far in the postseason. The first of which is their two-strike approach. They've scored 24 runs in two-strike counts across 11 games. The Astros have 10 of those across seven games. Secondly, Buster, they have quick bats up and down this lineup. I harp on this every October when we talk. But against 97-plus right now, the Phillies own an 836 OPS in the postseason. The Astros a 664 OPS. We're going to see overpowering arm after overpowering arm come out of the bullpen. I give the advantage to the Phillies because they have proven series after series that they handle premium velocity. And lastly, the Phillies have jumped on starters early. In the first four innings of the, uh, of the postseason game, look at all the innings one through four in every game they've played. They've got a plus 20 run differential. Plus 20. No other team has a better than plus five run differential early in games. That has enabled Rob Thompson to line up his bullpen and obviously get the chance to chase the opposing starter. The Phillies have played downhill way more than I expected in the playoffs. They've been jumping on guys early. I think you're going to see them. I think you're going to see them with a really aggressive approach against starters early in the game. That's worked for them so far. You believe that the Phillies have the biggest advantage in baseball history in games three four, and five in Philadelphia. Uh, this is where I, I might lose Buster only, but I have to, I have to just lay out the facts, Buster. <laughs> I just got to lay out the facts here, all right? The facts are these. In the history of Citizens Bank Park, dates to 2004, the Phillies are 21-9 and nine at home in the postseason. They win 70% of their game. That, my friend, is the best record by any team in any home stadium in the history of the postseason, we're talking about 120 years of postseason history for that stat. They average 5.6 runs per game in front of their crazy fans at Citizens Bank Park. I was at game three of the division series, and Reese Hoskins and Bryce Harper hit that home run and lit the city ablaze. I've never heard a sound that loud in my entire life. And I'll tell you what, the Astros are a really freaking good baseball team when they punch first. But they have demonstrated each of the last two times they've reached the World Series they're not so good when they get punched in the face. And if there's anything about the fans in Philadelphia, they will punch you in the face. I don't even know why I bother to ask this. Who are you picking to win in the World Series, Hembo? So, look, I'm not going to be obnoxious and, and pick the Phillies to win the series in a sweep. I'll, I'll go Phillies in five. Like, I'll give the Astros one game. The, the Astros will find a way to win one game, probably at home. Maybe they'll find a way to steal game one or two. But I'll tell you what, if the Phillies – Find a way to split in Houston. They're going to go back to the bank and win games three, four, and five in front of the greatest fans in the history of baseball. Let's say you. 
I say that you are a great fan and like there's no chance. You know, that the, you know, to me, like the easy, low-hanging fruit and Jeff Passon and I both grab for it is Astros in six. That pitching staff is unbelievable. They're a better team, but you know what? It would be fun. If the Phillies won, it would be fun. Uh, that would be really cool. Before you go, I'm going to, like, knock you off your excited fan threshold and ask you about your daughters. How are they doing? Oh, the daughters are doing great, Buster. My girls know no world in which my teams lose. The Eagles haven't lost yet this season. The Phillies are 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 3-0 and oh in postseason series since they've... Oh, you were asking about my daughters, not about my favorite teams. My mistake. Okay, so the girls are doing great. <laughs> the girls are doing great. They're putting on the weight that they should be. They're crying a little bit less. They're sleeping a little bit more. They're making me exceedingly happy. After the Phillies won game five of the last series and clinched to go to the World Series, they're wearing their Phillies onesies. We got the matching fanatics. We took a picture. Their father was almost crying. This is this is a great time. This is a great time to be Hembo. And it's and it's look, we got two hungry, hungry Hembos in the house right now. Every few hours, it seems like they need to eat something. But look, we're as happy as can be. We're going we're, we're going to a wedding this weekend. So it's the first time they've gone anywhere, and anyone will have seen them. It's going to be a wild ride. I just got to find a way to watch uh, <laughs> game one on the TV on Friday night because the wedding's on Friday. I'm very worried about it. I'm not going to try to talk you down from your joy. All right, Hembo. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Have fun this weekend. Ring the bell, baby. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, Afoxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal Chewable Tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. A.J. Hinch is the manager of the Detroit Tigers after five years of managing the Houston Astros, and he's a big baseball fan, which is why I have him back on the podcast uh, as we get ready for the World Series. And, A.J., you still live in the Houston area. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, During the offseason, travel back and forth between Houston and Detroit. Uh, what sort of response, uh, you know, what have you seen in Astros fans in recent days? Yeah, it's been incredible. Uh, you know, first off, the buzz in the city in Houston is is real. The fans have been tremendous to me, my family, um, and really the Astros organization. I mean, I uh, had some meetings uh, in, near my house in Houston with a couple of Tigers people, and and we go to breakfast, and it was um, it was Astros Central. So that I mean, it, the response has always been good. Last night I flew in 
to spend the weekend with my family after a long week of work up in Detroit. And they, um, the fan was filled with Astros fans. So the buzz in the city is, is, is palpable. And you can, you can tell that the, uh, uh, you know, while this fan base has been used to, to postseason baseball and even the world series and in, in, you know, three, three times, I think in the last, whatever, six years or seven years, but it, um, they love their Astros and, and the city will be rocking tonight. Yeah. So what's it, when, when Astros fans recognize you, what, uh, what sort of responses yeah. do you get? Um, you know, a lot of it is just like, hello and pictures and, 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 you know, a lot of thank yous for the, for the, the stretch of time that I was here. And, uh, and then a lot of questions about the players. I mean, they, Altuve Bregman, you know, um, I get a lot of questions about paying you these days when I'm, when I'm out and about, even though I didn't have them in the big leagues. Um, and really just, just general buzz around, around the team. So I, you know, I think that, um, you know, obviously it's been a very emotional stretch for, for Astros fans and they've hung in there with the group and, and, and supported them through and through. And, and that environment to eliminate, like tonight, obviously the Phillies environment's going to be pretty rowdy when you get back to Philly, but, uh, it's unlike a lot of ballparks around the, around the league with the roof closed, fans packed. Um, they're very, very well versed in postseason baseball after all these years, and uh, they'll make it an advantage for the Astros. That's what I, one of the questions I was going to ask you is about the atmosphere in the two ballparks. Just from your perspective, if you can describe, you know, what's different, uh, Houston and Philadelphia, when you're in the ballpark and you're feeling those fans. Yeah. So Houston's louder. I mean, it's just, it's just flat out louder. And, and obviously both places are going to be pro their home team. I mean, it's a little rowdier, I think in Philly, um, the fans in the Northeast and, and they will get after the players quite a bit, I'm sure. And, um, you know, kind of ride the emotions of the, of the, of the Philly players. I mean, they, they have so much home run power and that kind of is the, the catalyst I think in Philly. And you can feel that, when the power comes, it's a ballpark. You can hit some homers in. Bryce Harper smoking hot. Schwarber can hit the ball to the moon. Um, if they get one of those, I can see Philly matching the the the, ton, the volume of, of of Minute Maid. But if not, it's it's impossible to match the volume in Minute Maid with the roof closed and and all the fans that are packed in there and and they, they're on top of you. It's really it feels a lot more on top of you at Houston in the dugout as a visitor than it does in 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 Philly. But the rowdiness of Philly can can get pretty can get pretty good there too. So give me a key factor in the series because we we talked about. I mean, look, the the Astros pitching is absurd, <laughs> right? right? It's right. been absurdly good. I mean, it you know the numbers when you look at them, it's like uh, as our friend Sarah Langs described the other day, it's like peak Pedro Martinez, peak Jacob Degrom in terms of what they've done overall as a staff. And on the other other hand, you have this team that's riding a ton of momentum, a ton of emotion in the Phillies lineup. Their bullpen has outperformed expectations. You know, for you, what's a, a key factor in this matchup? I think it's going to be the ability for the Phillies to hit the ball out of the ballpark. You know, it's it, Houston is very tough to match up with. They have an answer for everything. They've got guys in the bullpen like Stanek and Urquidy who haven't even gotten a ton of action. Urquidy hasn't even pitched yet. So the, the depth of the pitching where, where in depending on what the game is, the score, they won't have to use the same guys all the time. So they'll get to match up differently with, with the different the different hitters in Philly, but if 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 the Phillies guys Harper and Hoskins and 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 Baum and 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 Schwarber if they can hit the ball out of the ballpark, that's like a like a punch to a heavyweight fighter that is tough to come back from. If, if they if the Astros pitching neutralizes 
the, the power in the Phillies lineup, you know, Real Muto as well. Like it, that to me is going to be hard for Philly to match. It's hard to hit, get three hits in a row to score against the Astros. You need a big punch. The Phillies have enough of that. Um, and their quick strike offense is going to have to be key for them to keep, to keep themselves in games with the Astros. What's your read on Jose Altuve, who I know from talking with you through the years about him, he's one of your favorite people in terms of being around on a daily basis just because of uh, as accomplished as he is, the insecurities that are in play there, the great insecurities. Yeah, I mean, he's he gets, you know, he gets very uh, aggressive whenever he doesn't get a lot of hits. He's so used to 200 hits a year. He's used to leading the team in hitting. He's used to to being a catalyst, whether it be the top of the lineup or second or third, he's hit all over the top four of the lineup. Um, certainly since I was there and then through, through Dusty's years. Um, and he gets pretty emotional when he doesn't get hits. He expects to get hits and he, he swings outside the strike zone. Uh, the more gap there is between hit to hit when he gets momentum and he gets built up and, and he feel you know, he gets one, he's going to get three. Like he's a very momentum built hitter. And, and that comes and goes with the, with control in the strike zone. But, uh, he's going to be just fine. I know. I know he's had a tough stretch in the postseason, and he got into swing mode a little bit um, in the last two series. But he's like one hit away from getting ten hits in a series. Like it's not going to face him the big stage or or sort of the volatile environment in Philadelphia, facing some new pitchers that he hasn't seen a ton, uh, which is always difficult when you when you get to the World Series and teams you haven't played a ton in the last couple of years. Um, but, but, you know, even though the numbers are always pro pitcher against hitters, you kind of always think Altuve is going to get a hit every time he's in the box. So I remember hearing, uh, in 2021, late in the year, and this was probably like in mid August that Alex Bregman was going to need surgery, um, you know, on his injured wrist hand at the end of the year. And we got into the postseason, uh, and you know, he was struggling. You know, day after day after day, he was having a hard time, and we were breaking down his swing and all that, and he never mentioned the injury, ever. Like, the, mm-hmm. it wasn't until after the year was over when he actually had the surgery that I think the, the media large learned about that. He obviously is in a better place physically this time around. What's your read on him right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, the, you can, you can say, say that about a lot of players in Houston that they're probably in a good place physically because they just haven't played the volume of games uh, that most of the playoff teams do because they haven't lost. I mean, obviously the, the, the two games in one in Seattle kind of counts as an extra game, but I <clears throat> generally these guys should all be physically good heading into the World Series. <clears throat> the one thing that I, that I see about Bregman um, is when he's healthy, he's, he's never going to make an excuse. He's never going to tell you he's hurt, he, whether it's his legs, his lower half, his upper half. Like He's sort of always nicked up because of the way that he plays. Um, he is so elite at controlling the strike zone and getting a good pitch to hit in big moments. You know, I remember hearing a little bit of the buzz about the, you know, the, 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 the pitching around Jordan Alvarez and getting to Bregman or however the batting order is going to be. Like, I, I'm not sure you want Alex Bregman up to bat if you're an opponent, you know, in a big spot because he's going to get a good pitch to hit and he's going to put the ball in play pretty hard. Whether it's a rifle ball to right field, I mean, he's got, he's got sort of shorter arms, can get to the ball inside and pull it to the Crawford box. But the most important thing that he does in the big moments during the World Series, during the playoff stretch, is he gets a good pitch to hit. Probably, probably as good as anybody on that team. Justin Verlander starts today. Uh, he's likely to win his third Cy Young Award this offseason after having a 175 ERA. He's a future Hall of Famer. To me, he should be unanimous selection when his name you know, appears on the ballot. 
In the World Series, he still doesn't have a win. Uh, seven starts, okay. a 5.68 ERA. When I, you know, have seen him pitch in the postseason, he reminded me a lot of Roger Clemens, who I covered, and that I felt like that Roger it was such a perfectionist that he tended to put a lot of pressure on himself. Uh, what's your read on Justin going into this World <clears throat> Series? Yeah, I mean, they're another probably beneficiary of, of them winning so many games is there hasn't been an extra start for him. This is going to be the the most fresh he's been going into a World Series. Um, you know, both in 17 and 19, we we leaned on him heavy ALCSs where he's going 120, 125 pitches and had an incredible uh, run of success in the ALCS and, and, and has run into the homer, homer ball a little bit in, in the World Series, at least the time that I've been around him. Um, he is a perfectionist. He doesn't put too much pressure on himself. His bar is high because he's Justin Verlander. Like, I think he takes an April start just as serious as he, seriously as he takes a, an October start. But I, um, I think the margin for errors is such, so, so much smaller uh, for guys that, uh, you know, when they get to the World Series in one bad pitch or one, one bad sequence or the big three-run homer, that's um, bitten them a little bit. But, again, walking out on the mound at Minute Maid, <clears throat> you want Justin Verlander there. Um, he's going to post. He's going to have some high-end velo today. The slider will be obviously very key. Um, and he's unflappable. Like he's not a nervous guy as much as he is an intense guy during a, you know, during any, any given game. So um, I think he'll bounce back from, from, you know, he doesn't really carry the burden of the extra world series stuff. He doesn't say a ton about it, um, but he'll post well. Give me the name of someone who, you know, whether it's the Phillies or whether it's the Astros that you're excited to, to see have this opportunity. Cause I, you know, people ask me all the time who I root for. I said, I don't really root for a team. I just root for good stuff to happen to good people. For you, you know, just watching someone who uh, who, who fills that category. Yeah, so, I, I mean, obviously I could go down a laundry list of guys. Uh, and it's always easy to go to the to the Houston guys. And, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm super happy for Jose Altuve to get back on this stage yet again and, and continue to showcase that he's one of the best players in the game. It's been a very difficult stretch in his career. Um, you know, in and around him. But, uh, you know, I, I love that JT Real Muto gets, a, gets an opportunity. He's a Midwest City, Oklahoma boy. He went to uh, a rival high school, went to school with my nephew. His family are, are, are friends with my, uh, my family in Oklahoma. Um, I don't know him tremendously well. I've met him at an all-star game and, and crossing paths. And, you know, Oklahoma boys kind of stick together. So um, seeing him on this stage after his career is sort of winded through. He picked the right place to go to. and. And he's going to be a center figure in this uh, in this series, given the fact that I, I doubt Bryce Harper sees a lot of good pitches, and you're going to need somebody else to step up in order to keep up with the Astros. And I'm I'm rooting for JT to have a good series. What's up with the Oklahoma catchers, AJ? You know, you got you, <laughs> you've got JT, you got Johnny Bench. So I'm not sure all of those are in the same category. Um, <laughs> Johnny's in like a category on his own. Uh, you know, JT is going to has already surpassed me in, in terms of success. Uh, my catching career was just a precursor to going to manage for hopefully a long time, but uh, we're pretty prideful about our catching catching group in uh, in Oklahoma. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, AJ, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Steve Sparks is the analyst for Houston Astros Radio, working alongside Robert Ford. Uh, Sparksy, how you doing? I'm doing great. You know, we're we're sitting at the precipice of uh, another World Series, and it's it's not like it's old hat, but it, it feels very familiar 
for Astros fans, for, for Robert and myself. Uh, but this, nevertheless, just as exciting as it's ever been. Now, the, coming into this World Series, you know the Astros are favored to win. I went with a low-hanging fruit myself. I picked Astros in six because of how incredible their pitching's been. You know, we had Sarah Langs on earlier in the in this week talking about the, the amazing numbers that they've put up. You know, the opponent's batting average of 178, opponent's uh, or the ERA of 188, a strikeout uh, per nine inning rate of 11.1. Uh, you've seen a lot of great Astros pitching. How dominant is this group compared to previous groups in recent years? One to 13, by far the best. I mean, they've had some staffs where they had Morton and, and Garrett Cole and Verlander at the top and things of that nature. But one through 13, you know, now with the emergence of Brian Abreu, some of these guys in the bullpen, they've given up three runs in 33 innings so far this postseason. They're as dominant as I've seen. And it, it kind of stemmed from 2015, Buster. If you remember, the Astros were eight outs away from advancing against the Kansas City Royals that year, the, the year the Royals won the World Series, but uh, they couldn't strike them out. And that was a big problem is there was a lot of chance that the Astros didn't want to take and to take away chance because the Royals kept putting in play and, and, and finding some holes that the Astros uh, went out and, and were determined to get guys in the bullpen who could strike you out. So all week since the uh, Yankees were eliminated, as you know, the conversation in New York has been, you know, should you fire Aaron Boone? Should you fire Brian Cashman? You know, what major changes do you make? Because the Yankees failed. And I've been laughing at that. I'm like, did, did anybody actually watch the series? <laughs> Cause I didn't, right. I didn't think these two teams were close. I thought the Astros were that much better than anybody else in the American league. What was your, yeah, view? at this point, you are at this point in time, I, I agree. You know, once the, the series got underway, I thought it looked pretty apparent, you know, without Benintendi, without LeMayhew, and some of these guys uh, that really put the ball in play. We're talking about uh, the lack of strikeouts. Uh, it felt like the, the Yankees were at a disadvantage. The Astros do on the other side of the coin. They put the ball in play. I know there's a lot of good strikeout pitchers out there, but they don't leave the strike zone very often. You know, you, you will see a lot of pitches just an inch or two off the plate that the Astros are able to spit on even with two strikes. And that's what makes them very, you know, kind of difficult to to manage over the course of a game and a series. How the heck did the Astros put together a staff like this, this deep in your eyes? In my eyes, I mean, you guys have heard the story about Ozzo Campo and his directive about six or seven years ago to find some of these pitchers that are a little older that may have slipped through the cracks. And whether it's luck or, or great scouting or a great plan, the Astros have four Four guys right now with Kristen Javier, Jose Urquidy, Framer Valdez, and Luis Garcia, who don't cost very much and are in their rotation. And because of Verlander coming back from two years of inactivity, he was able to, for two-thirds of the season, to roll with the six-man rotation. A lot of times pitching like a college pitcher, pitching about once a week, and that kept him as fresh as possible. He had a phenomenal year, and everybody did. The, you know, All the starters started to go a little deeper. Uh, you've got to have six good ones to be able to pull this off, and the Astros did. And because of the length of the guys in the starting rotation right now, you're looking at a very fresh bullpen, too, especially with all these off days so far this postseason. But Presley's pitching as well as he ever has. Hector Neris was uh, obviously a great pickup. James Clint got him from Philly in the offseason for a couple of years. But Montero and Abreu in particular, I don't think anybody, including the Astros, saw them to be as dominant as they are this year. 
All right. As you know, uh, Campa just, uh, he's in the news. He just took a job to be yeah. the assistant general manager of the Miami Marlins. Uh, this is just in the last 24 hours. Uh, so as we go into game one, uh, the Astros are going to face Aaron Nola. And what I got back from rival evaluators, folks who are watching this from other teams is, yeah, Aaron Nola is a terrific pitcher. We know that his you know, number one weapon is that great curveball that he has. But I got back from people like nobody hits spin better than the Astros. What's your mm-hmm. view on that? Yeah, I agree. But, you know, I think it was, I think it was Larry Boa talking about Nolan Ryan. Like you might be a good curveball hitter. But nobody hits a good curveball. So if he locates it well, nobody hits it. Nola, uh, for me, he's one of my favorite pitchers to watch in baseball. I think he's phenomenal. But I've kept pretty good track on him this year. And when the wheels come off with Nola, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's defense uh, or what's going on, but I've noticed uh, just from periphery that, that they come off pretty quickly. So I think you got to be patient, you know, and, and for the Astros to – to get to Wheeler or Nola, I think they've got to get them out of the ball game at some point and go to plan B because those two guys in particular are two of the best in baseball. But Nola, I'm a huge fan, being able to t- throw that two-seam uh, to both sides of the plate, uh, the mix of pitches, the mix of speeds and all that are, are a lot for anybody to, to tackle. So you've experienced both crowds uh, in Philadelphia, uh, in Houston during the course of your career. Uh, mm-hmm. How much do you think that that's going to be a factor in this series? It's going to be a factor for Philadelphia, but for not for the Astros, I believe, Buster. And you know as well as anybody is, and people talk about it a lot, they're, they're as battle-tested at this point if any team I can ever imagine in baseball. I mean, they're, ob- they're the obvious villains for, for a reason, but uh, they, they've felt and seen and heard anything that you can throw at them, you know, at this point, uh, Chicago white Sox last year, New York Yankees, uh, Seattle. I mean, everybody's out for blood Dodgers. It doesn't matter, but, uh, and if anything, it may take them to another level as far as their focus and concentration and their us against them mentality. Uh, I just don't think it's going to help, uh, Philadelphia as far as getting to the Astros and making them do things outside of their comfort zone. Now, can it elevate the Phillies to another level? Schwarber goes deep at, a, at an opportune time uh, in the seventh inning. Yeah, it, there's no question it can help the home team. What have you seen in Dusty Baker uh, You know, during the course of this postseason run? He's himself, you know, and, and he talks about as far as culture in a clubhouse, he says he tries to stay out of there as much as he can. He wants those guys to feel relaxed and, and feel like they can be themselves, not having to look over their shoulder that, and seeing the coaches and the manager uh, listening to what they say. He wants that clubhouse to be theirs. It's why he is who he is. Uh, he's, he's the most likable maybe manager I, I've ever been around. He's just so fun uh, to be around, listen to, uh, learn from. I, I love him. You know, I would love to play for uh, Dusty Baker, and there's a big reason why he's he's ninth all time in, in wins uh, as far as managers go, and, and I think a lot of the players will tell you they'd love to win this for Dusty. Where does Jose, Jose Altuve uh, sit right now? You think in terms of how comfortable he is at the plate? Well, it, it's going to take a, a couple of good swings of the bat for him to get comfortable again. I think he's just really sensitive, Buster, and he gets off to a slow start. He hates to let his team down. He hates to let his teammates down, and I think. He starts to chase once once he gets off to a slow start or a bad start, and 
I've seen this during the course of, of seasons, you know, throughout the years for the last 10 years where he'll have these slumps, maybe not to this degree and, and not with the lights this bright. But uh, when he comes out of them, it, I mean, a lot of times it's a, a nine for 11 stretch uh, that he's, he's just, he roars out of these types of situations. So one of the best hitters we've seen, he's got a lifetime average of, of over 300 for a big reason. And he's got elite, you know, ball to, to bat skills that we haven't seen in a long time. So he gets off to a good start and he, he swings at that first pitch and connects. Uh, I think he'll be off to the races. Yes, Sparksy, I mentioned to you that I talked to A.J. Hinch, and he said that uh, Altuve's one hit away from 10 hits. That's it. <laughs> yeah, the way that he described it. It's funny. That's exactly the way I, I, A.J. has seen it, too. You know, we see it was as soon as he can calm down a little bit and, and not try to chase and leave the strike zone and, and keep his head a little more still and slow the game down, that he, there's nobody better about getting the barrel to the ball. All right, sir. I'll see you in the broadcast booth in just a few hours. All right, man, looking forward to it. Y'all have a good call. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash buster just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash buster terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed all aboard it's the Rabbi train with carl ravage Carl Ravitch, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. And in this round, uh, with the World Series, he's going to be the host of baseball tonight, which means, Ravi, you're doing about 50 shows a day, right? And 50 (laughs) Sports Center segments, uh, you know, all kinds of rundown. But the cool thing is you just react. It's not like we sit around and have to to plan for what you're going to talk about. Yeah, no, this is a good one. And, in fact, the the train thing is great because I'm literally looking out my window at Minute Maid Park where the train actually goes on its tracks in left field. So I got a great view of – and, I, geez, I swear I just saw the ball Albert Pujols hit. It's still – it's – it's rotating around uh, <laughs> Minute Maid Park here off of Brad Lidge, so I'm, I'm watching that too. Now, this this is great. You guys are all here. Kirkshin is here. This should be a uh, – look, Buster, this should be a, a really it's, – it's fascinating, and a lot of it may, have, may, may be dictated by games one and two, which we'll get to, but 
boy, this is the this is Rocky and Creed or Rocky and Drago. This is Bad News Bears against the Polish team. It, it it's got so many neat wrinkles to it that I'm really uh, I'm looking forward to this World Series. Yeah, and before we get to that and your view on on some of the key elements to look at in this matchup, I want to talk about David Stearns, who yesterday yeah. uh, the Brewers announced that uh, he is stepping away as the head of baseball operations for the Brewers. Matt Arnold is ascending into that spot, and the quote from David Stearns is, it not only requires total commitment in the present, it requires total commitment in the future. When I begin to hesitate about whether I could make that commitment, I knew it was really time to contemplate a change. And so he, uh, according to the Brewers, shifts into an advisory role. What I tend to look at this, Carl, is David Stearns has been put into baseball purgatory because he Mm -hmm. has a signed contract with Mark Atanasio, the owner of the Brewers. Uh, Mm -hmm. We know about all the speculation that's out there about the Mets. Uh, We know that uh, there's a lot of speculation that Astros owner Jim Crane, who had David Stearns working for him before, uh, would be open to the idea of changing his general manager away from James Click. Uh, And I think this is a case where the owner of the Brewers doesn't want David Stearns, who signed this contract, to simply walk away and go start working for another organization. So they basically have agreed to disagree, and now Stearns is going to have to wait out his contract uh, for the next year, which, i got to be honest, doesn't make much sense to me. Like, if I'm I'm Mark Adonazio and I've got someone working for me that I know wants to work someplace else, heck, you know Mm -hmm. what? Just call another team and say, look, let's work out some sort of compensation. What good does it do anybody to have David Stearns in a penalty box? What's your read on this? Yeah, I, I'm I'm in line with you. And uh, the unfortunate part for me is that you get to this particular point in this long relationship um, and successful relationship to the extent that that Stearns and Atanasio, you know, worked together and had a team that was generally competitive uh, for the years that he was there. And it's going to it seems to it's going to end this way, um, you know, kind of a real a real bad breakup, a, a, an unnecessary evil to this. And. I think we've all been we've all been in places where in order to make a relationship work, both people need to be involved and want to make it work. It's quite clear, you know, that David Stearns has, has looked at what um, what Bloom has done and where he he started and where he ended up. Certainly where Friedman started, where he ended up. Um, th- there is there's a desire to to leave these middle market organizations for what is a greener literally pasture in a big market and you know a couple of years ago we we heard that flirtation and he stayed it's it's going to it's going to happen um and whether it's with the mets uh, the yankees the astros whatever organization david cerns uh, to me is not going to end up going to a place market size like milwaukee he's done that and now it's time to see what he can do at the next level. And the flirtation from these big teams is out there. He knows it. So this idea that we're going to, as you said, and that's an apt description, hold him in contract purgatory serves nobody. Now, look, there is a contract, and I, and I respect the hell out of that. So, yes, there should be a way that they can work this out, whether it is with – um, compensation, however you define it, player, financial, et cetera, between one organization and another. 
but my God, baseball's got such a long history of of um, exchanges, uh, not only player for player, but front office, etc. Um, so I I agree. It's it's. It, I hope that they can resolve this. It feels incredibly unfortunate for Stearns to be in this position, albeit you have a contract and you are in this position because of that contract. You hope that the two sides are able, if in fact some team wants to pay Stearns to come run their baseball ops, they're able to work it out because it's, it's, it's a, it's going to be a bad year um, and a loss year. And that's not questioning the professionalism of David Stearns. It's, it, it's obvious what's going on. Yeah. And a lost opportunity, I think for the Brewers in the end, uh, we know that Steve Cohen, uh, the owner of the Mets asked for permission last year to talk to Stearns. Mm-hmm. He was turned down, mm-hmm. which is the right of Mark Atanasio to do that. Uh, from what I understand from talking with sources, Cohen's perspective now is I'm not going to go down that road again. So, you know, if a phone calls or if there's going to be an exchange, you know, with the, with the Brewers and the Mets or the Brewers with the Astros, I think it's Atanasio who's got to pick up the phone. And basically yeah. say to, you know, to say to Steve Cohen, look, are you interested in this guy? Or to call Jim Crane and say, you know, is this someone you want to talk yep. to? And why not, Carl? Like, I mean, first off, you get out of paying his salary, uh, A, and B, you, you know, maybe look, you get a B-minus prospect. Be there, the right. man doesn't want, doesn't want to continue in that role. There's, what, other, what other evidence do you need than the person coming to the table and saying, I can't commit to this. I don't want to do this anymore. You you could double my pay. It's not a pay thing. He has he has fulfilled in his mind, you know his his obligation to the Brewers in the sense like I I, I don't want to do this with this group anymore. It's been great, um, and if we can figure out a way to get out, great. If we can't. I'll, I'm going to honor it. I'll be here for the year and I'll, he'll look, he's a professional. He'll, he'll do what he can to improve it, but his heart's not in it. I mean, come on, you know, it's, it's they forget writing on the wall. This is a conversation. This is obvious. This is a, uh, it's a difficult breakup when you're the person uh, in this case at Nacio who is being told, I don't want to be involved here anymore. That sucks, you know, and you got a contract and you signed it and you committed et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It stinks. It's really bad. Now, now you're, to me, your goal is to make the best deal possible. And hopefully that happens. All right. We've talked to AJ Hinch. We've talked to Paul Ambikides. We've talked to Steve Sparks and asked them for their keys in this series. In your eyes, what's the pivotal uh, point in this world series? What is this going to turn on? Well, the urgency to me is obviously it's it's right here. It's tonight. It's it's Verlander's ability to to utilize what he has utilized this year on his way to another Cy Young, which is get guys to chase, you know, his slider, his curveball, and I, I think run the risk of because he makes a living with a high fastball, trying to get that past the likes of Schwarber, who's really good at hitting it, and Segura, who can turn around a fastball and. Real Muto. Um, look, the Phillies have one goal. That That is ultimately the split here to me. And if they don't, uh, I'm not sure the series comes back. I, I think that's the urgency of this series is what happens with Verlander, given his track record in World Series. You know, 0-6, 568 ERA, home runs. He and Catfish Hunter have allowed, uh, given up nine home runs in World Series. A, it's a tribute to how many you've been in. But also your inability to to eliminate that, and the Phillies have made a living with home runs. We've seen it in this postseason. 
So I think the urgency is right away. It, it's right out of Jump Street, and Nola is a damn good pitcher. I mean, Nola is fantastic, and he starts burying two seamers. Uh, they're they're going to be challenged tonight, especially uh, the lefties, and that's you know that's Jordan Alvarez, and that's that's a huge bat and Tucker. So I, the urgency is game one, and I I don't know that we say that all the time. I think that's part part and parcel because the the Phillies have two real great starters in spite of Ranger Suarez's success. I think the Astros are a dynamic enough offense that, that you've got to be the ace or co-ace to beat them. You need those dudes. And then you can hand it off to, you know, Alvarado and you can hand it off to Dominguez. They're filthy. They're great, but you only have, you have four bullets to me. You know, you've got those, those four starts and you've got those guys to follow them. You, you've got a you, you've got you have no margin for error. The Astros do, and I think Game One is huge. And Verlander is the X factor because, to me, Nola's reliable. Verlander, at least in the World Series, the resume doesn't suggest that. Let's let's see what happens. Yeah, I'll repeat those numbers: seven starts in the World Series, zero and six with yeah. a five point six eight ERA. He told reporters yesterday that he feels like that he's had games where he's pitched better or pitched well enough to win, but uh, he just hasn't done it. It's funny, you mentioned the home runs. Um, You know, when I asked A.J. about, you know, what's going to be pivotal, that was the first thing he mentioned. He said, keeping the Phillies in the ballpark. And the way that he described, Carl, the impact of the home runs for the Phillies reminded me of of when you're watching an, an NBA series and there's a thunderous dunk. And it's not only what you gain, you know, statistically out of that, the points, but also the impact on the dugout, on the fans, everybody. Uh, and A.J. felt that. And that does seem like it's a big part of what the Phillies do, right? They feed off each other with that power. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think it's a bit dismissive to suggest that's all they do. And look, obviously, we're going to remember Harper's homer. We're going to remember the intentional walk of Schwarber that led to Hoskins' big home run during this one. Um, but I, I, I look at the Phillies a, a little differently and I know, and look in this ballpark, hell, I, literally where I'm sitting, somebody could get a hold of one and hit it through this window. If, if there was no roof, I mean that we're that close and it's in the, the left field boxes are so short, you know? Um, but how many at bats did they come up with, with Gene Segura, two strikes, let's, let's get a ball, uh, through the hole in a in a quasi shift, or if they're holding a runner on, like they they're a little deeper than just a home run hitting team, and that's that's really what I find interesting. There are some mirror images to me offensively between these two teams. They obviously have guys that can bash the baseball, but they 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 cause problems. You know, there's not a there's less to me perception wise swing and miss. And I guess I always fall back on the dang Yankees and I'm not sure that's even fair, but when we watched the AL playoffs and the Yankees were involved, there was, and you and I talked about it, kind of this plodding approach, waiting for the three run home run, waiting for Aaron judge or Stanton to hit one over the wall. Um, in these two teams cases, that, that's a big aspect, but it's not the only aspect. And, they're going to put the ball in play, and I think that's what makes this series so interesting. I think it's going to be exciting. I think there's a little old-school feel to both of these teams, and that's that's refreshing. So, yeah, the home run is a, is a big deal, but there may be a bunch of home runs, and they could nullify each other. All right, give me your pick and give me your MVP. You know, to me, it wouldn't shock me if the Astros swept it. It also wouldn't shock me if it went six games. 
so all that being said, I'll take the Astros in five games, and Alex Bregman is the MVP. I think we're starting to see Alex Bregman. You know, we did a Sunday night game here in Houston the day that Vasquez got traded from the Red Sox, and I remember having a conversation with Alex, um, you know, and, and there were times it felt like he was searching a little bit this year, you know, and, and there was the uh, a little paralysis by analysis or over analysis. And we just we just chatted and I said, you know, we've been doing this a long time and I've I've watched you play third base. And you're you're a dang vacuum and, you know, your best. I see you back to your LSU days. Your best when you believe that like. you are Alex Bregman. You are amongst the best players in the game. Like what? Where is that bravado? Where's that guy? And I think that guy's back. So while there are a lot of candidates to win it, I think Bregman is, uh, look, he's my pick to be the MVP. All right, Ravi. I'll see you at the ballpark later. Thanks, Boston. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, are you doing okay today? How are you feeling? Uh, especially after hearing uh, Taylor's serenade <laughs> as you were brought on uh, on Zoom. Uh, have you recovered from that? <laughs> that was wonderful. I hope we're recording. I hope we can uh, share that with the people because that was fascinating. But yeah, I'm doing great. We have World Series Baseball tonight. What is better? Absolutely nothing. No, we didn't need to record it, and I knew this as I asked you that question because I'm going to insist that Taylor come in and, re- and sing that same song <laughs> that he just sang, which was uh, you know made up as we went along. Taylor, just jump in. Well, it's hard to replicate greatness, but uh, let me give it a shot here. Sarah Lang's coming in to talk about baseball today, World Series Friday. It's not the same one. You get a different one every time, Sarah. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. Great energy. For World Series Game 1, that is what we need right now. (laughs) All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 39. So Justin Verlander is 39 years and 250 days old today. That makes him the fourth oldest pitcher to start Game 1 of the World Series, younger than only. A 43-year-old Roger Clemens in 2005, 40-year-old David Wells in 03, an early win in 1959, who was 39 years and 18 days older than Justin Verlander is right now. This is the 12th time in his career that he will start Game 1 of a postseason series, which ties John Lester for the most Game 1 starts in postseason history, and entering tonight, his team has won seven of his 11 so far. Postseason series game one starts, which is tied with CeCe Sabathia for the most. Number two. Number two is eight. So the Phillies, as we know, snapped a 10-year postseason drought this year, and they didn't just snap the drought the way the Mariners did. They snapped the drought, and now they're playing in the World Series. So they're the eighth team in the wildcard era to reach the World Series in the season where they snapped a 10 or more year postseason drought. So there have been seven previously in the wildcard era. Only one actually won it all. 
and was the 2002 Angels against Dusty Baker's Giants. Number one. Number one is 111. So we talked the other day about Dusty Baker, all of his experience, and what that would mean if he were to win the World Series. So on the opposite end, you have Rob Thompson, who has managed 111 regular season games in his career, obviously just since he took over for Joe Girardi this year. So first of all, that is the fewest games for any non-player manager to reach a World Series. And so, of course, it would be the fewest if he were to win. The fewest currently for any manager to win a World Series career games manager at the time is 156 by Bucky Harris in 1924 with the Senators. So it has been a very long time since we saw a manager this inexperienced win a World Series. And then on the other hand, we have a manager who, if he won, will be the most experienced to win it. So I was asking AJ Hinch, Sarah, uh, you know, about, you know, set aside, you know, rooting for a team or thinking of, you know, uh, being happy that a particular team wins someone who's playing in this world series that he's excited for, you know, excited for this opportunity. Uh, and he mentioned JT Rio Muto because he has the same, uh, you know, background, Oklahoma catcher uh, growing up that JT does tell me for you, Somebody who's in this World Series that you're kind of excited for, and, and if they were to get something, uh, you'd be fired up to see him win. I mean, it's hard not to say Gene Segura, who, of course, had that uh, streak entering the postseason of the most games of any active player without making the postseason. He ends up with the Phillies. He says, you know, what's going to happen here, and it does a few years later. He's just been so excited. I have that image in my mind of him jumping into the pile for their team photo after they won the pennant. If you go on Twitter, you see it, and he's kind of lying on his stomach because he almost missed the photo, so he had to jump in. And I feel like he really carries that, you know, youthful exuberance. Of course, it's funny. He's not that old, but in baseball terms, he kind of is. He's been around a while. So I think it's him for me, but there's so many other players. I almost said Jeremy Pena because he has been making the most of the stage he's gotten as a rookie. And it's so awesome that he gets to do that on the next stage now as well. Yeah. I love earlier in the week uh, when the Astros were making the flight from, excuse me, the Phillies are making the flight from Philadelphia down to Houston, Gene Segura boarded the plane in a full uniform like he was a 10-year-old Little Leaguer, you know, showing up at school wearing his Little League uniform. Now, he explained to reporters after he went straight from the workout to see his family to getting on the plane, so he didn't have a chance to change uniforms. But I thought it was perfect, you know, given his enthusiasm level, you know? So. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. And I saw the explanation. But regardless, I feel like that sort of what we expect, how we associate him with his love for the game. So it's perfect either way. Speaking of love for the game, here's Eduardo Perez, our colleague at ESPN. This is what he has to say about you. I think this is an easy one. What makes Sarah great? What makes Sarah great is her upbeat personality, her desire to always find what others can't find, and do it with a smile. I think, you know, when you 
think you're asking her a question that there's no way she can find an answer for. She doesn't stop until she does. And even if she does get it for you and it's like not on time, it's the most apologetic, most sincere, most real person that one can imagine. I think it's Sarah. I smile. And it's not because of Sarah's condition. It's because who Sarah is since the first day I ever met her. I would tell her, okay, you're a vegetarian, but you got to eat. Whatever it takes to get Sarah from point A to point B, I've always said, I'll be there for her. And this is as genuine as she is with all of us. Yeah, so uh, earlier this year, we learned that Sarah Abbott is named for the song Sarah by Fleetwood Mac. Sarah, I don't know if you, if you uh, remember that, you heard that. But I'm curious, which song could you relate to more? Was it Sarah by Fleetwood Mac or Sarah Smile, I guess, by Hall & Oates? Like when you when that song played, which one could you relate to better? I think it's Sarah Smile. I mean, I always think of that. That one is S-A-R-A, like Sarah Abbott, I have the age, but it's okay, you know, it's not a Hall & Oates fault or anything like that. But I do always think of that song. And uh, yeah, I think that would probably have to be it. And thank you so much, Eduardo, and again to you for all of these very kind words. I mean, I, I'm so honored to hear those. So thank you. All right, Sarah. Well, I'll be in touch, and we uh, have fun watching the game tonight. Enjoy it. I can't wait. Bleacher Tweets. All right, everyone. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. And Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious ice-cold taste of a Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. And we got to lead off with Sarah Abbott here, who had an assignment. She understood the assignment, and she's uh, ready to unload with her Taylor Swift connection. So, Sarah, take it away. Yes, this is previewing tonight's game. So I went based off her new album because... You know, it's a banger. It's bops only. So the first song is called The Great War, which has been dedicated to this entire series because, you know, you get it. It's the World Series, like The Great War. (laughs) (laughs) The next song is called Maroon, which I've dedicated to the Phillies. I'm not going to lie to you. This is based on color scheme, which is kind of a maroony color. (laughs) Lifelong Phillies fan. Yes, Dusty Baker. His song is Labyrinth because Labyrinth is all about love and good things and just a renewed hope. And that is what Dusty Baker represents. (laughs) Bejeweled, Justin Verlander, because it's all about like, I'm still here. I'm still sparkling. I'm still bejeweled. That is Justin Verlander. Now this one, I'm going to explain because it sounds really, really mean, but it's a compliment and I need it on record. It is called Antihero and it's to Bryce Harper, but it's because it's like someone owning their like seemingly bad reputation and really they're kind of the good guy. They're the good guy that everyone roots for in the end. And it was just an evolution of life. And that is what I have so far. More to come. Nice. Nice work there. Those are great. I like that. I think I think Bryce probably would, uh, you know, love to hear that description. Yeah. And it's my guess. What about you, Taylor? Yeah. Yeah. I think he'd like that. I really like the Verlander one with Bejeweled. 
Uh, yeah, great, great work, Sarah. Very impressed. Thank you. I forgot the most important one, actually. Mastermind, oh. Rob Thompson. Oh. Also, I bet you think about me. That's not on this album, but that one is dedicated to Miles Teller because that is the music video he starred in. You know, when you said that, you better think about me. I thought for sure you were going to go in keeping with our theme. Jordan Alvarez in the lineup. Do you pitch around Alex Bregman? That's a good one, Monster. (laughs) Yes. I like this. I like this segment a lot. (laughs) Coming off the top rope. Um, well, you know what? We might have to dig into past Taylor Swift songs as this World Series goes along that you can apply them to the action that's taking place, right? That's, that's the big one. That's the spectacular. <laughs> that one I need a lot of time for because there's a lot to go off of. Right. Uh, you know, to, if uh, Verlander gets uh, loses game one of the World Series, he goes into game five and shake it off, right? You know? Oh, oh Buster, look at, are you a Swifty now, Buster? I'm not saying a word. <laughs> That's not a no. That's not a no. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are the other Bleacher tweets, Taylor, before I get myself in trouble? All right. Well, one more Sarah-related. Bob Buscalia writes, and Sarah, if there's a cosmic event, shouldn't that portend an asterisk victory? P.S. I stopped at a runza on Sunday. Sounds oh, delightful. No. Bob, technically speaking, you are probably correct. However, I'm not NASA, so I'm just going with the cosmic <laughs> events for the Phillies. Also, I was telling uh, Taylor all about Runza the other day. Ranch, best ranch you'll ever have in your whole entire life. Those gourmet hot pockets, that's basically what a Runza is. Divine. Just a culinary masterpiece. Okay. Good to know. You're informing the people about Runza. Uh, Joe Leg, Leggy at the Joe Leg writes, and why do we discount postseason stats when discussing career milestones? These are real Major League Baseball games. Justin Verlander really has 259 wins, 244 regular season, plus 15 postseason. And Albert Pujols has hit 700 career home runs long before the 24th of September. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the demarcation point has been there, um, you know, for a long time that, uh, you know, they, they're not the same. You know, and, and also, if you're on a team that's in the postseason a lot, you have statistical advantage over the other players, which is another reason why they set, you know, separated. Imagine if you added Derek Jeter's career hits, uh, 3,465 in the regular season, the 200 he had in the postseason, you know, compared to an Ernie Banks who never played in a postseason game. So I get it. It's just a statistical benchmark. Andrew DeSalvo. But we do. I'd say this. When we discuss players, we talk about postseason all the time. Like Derek Jeter mm-hmm. in the postseason, oh, yeah. Mariano Rivera in the postseason, that's a big part of their legacy. You're right. It is kind of a whole separate conversation. So I think I like that dividing line. Uh, Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvotion writes, and what is the logic for batting Bryce Harper fourth instead of higher in the order? He is the Phillies' best hitter. Wouldn't they want him to have ha- want him to bat earlier and more frequently? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, a lot of teams, when you have a player at Harper's level, they tend to bat that guy second. We've seen it with Aaron Judge, you know, Shohei Otani, uh, Mike Trout uh, in that two-hole because they want them to get as many plate appearances as possible while giving protection. Maybe it's because the Phillies, you know, have so many guys who command the strike zone. Their priority is to to have Harper's presence get other players' pitches to hit, and that would be JT. You know, maybe that's uh, – uh, you know, maybe that's Hoskins. Maybe it's also if you're uh, Rob Thompson, you're thinking about how to best deploy your left-handed hitters, knowing that you're going to have Schwarber in the leadoff spot 
Uh, maybe you want a little bit of a separation between Schwarber and Bryce Harper so you don't make it easy for the opposing manager, you know, to bring in a lefty for Schwarber and then, you know, pitch to Harper, say, two batters later. You split it up by adding a couple right-handed hitters. That would be my guess. I love that. Uh, Tiger Mitch writes in, JT Real Muto is often mentioned as the best catcher, but something I didn't hear mentioned much is his base running. 21 of 22 stolen bases as a catcher is quite impressive. Yeah, and it jumps out at you when he hits a ground ball, even at, you know a ground out, how fast he is going down the line. He's got more speed. He's a better athlete than most catchers. The doll from Bloodborne. Hmm. A silent flute, our friend who's written him before. After Thompson took over with the Phillies, they went on to hit a 94 wins pace and make the World Series. Looking back at the Girardi replacement, how will history end up explaining what happened in Philadelphia this season? What changed and how? Yeah, difference making because, you know, according to players, Rob Thompson is very calm. They felt like that he fit better. I, look, when Joe Girardi was fired, I was on this podcast saying I thought you know, this was a case where the Phillies ownership, uh, leadership basically scapegoated Girardi and it was the wrong move. And clearly I was wrong, right? Uh, because the way they played since then, it, it's been dramatic in terms of the turnaround. Um, the, there's no getting around that. Uh, probably the most impactful mid-season managerial change since Bob Lemon took over from Billy Martin in the midst of the 1978 season and took the Yankees to, to win the World Series. Wow. Buster, I love your honesty there. I really appreciate that. That's what you get on the Baseball Tonight podcast. We got one more tweet. Carlos Munoz <laughs> at Carlos Almighty. What are the chances that the Mets or any other team in the offseason take Trey Turner and use him to play center field, replacing Nimmo again like he did in the past? Yeah, Carlos, I don't think that in 2023, Trey Turner is going to play a position other than shortstop. If someone you know signs him, pays him a lot of money, they're going to have him at shortstop uh, for next year. But I would say this, uh, as you look at him for a guy that you know, you're know you going to potentially invest a seven, eight, nine-year deal in, you're feeling good about how he's going to transition as he gets older because he can play other positions. He's already played the outfield in his career. He's already played second base. So, you know, after you get, say, four years from him at shortstop, you know, maybe he becomes a center fielder, like a, a Robin Yount makes that sort of transition. I think it's a good selling point for Turner. There you have it. Bleacher tweets for Friday. Keep them coming over the weekend as we go through game one and game two of this World Series. Thanks, everyone. That's it for today. That's it for this week's. My thanks to Sarah, to AJ Hinch, to Steve Sparks, to Ravi, to Hembo, to Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwink, have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something that we need to fight against every single day.